Welcome to another episode of Fintech Focus TV with me, Toby Babb. Today we are travelling over to Copenhagen and delighted to introduce you to Christian Croman of Simcorp. Christian, how are you? I'm very good, Tony. As you can almost see, the sun is up here in Copenhagen. That's not every day these days, so uh, <laughs> it's great. And uh, also this morning, that was the first time in uh, two years that I had a you know, there was traffic uh, on the way, so somehow uh, the world is coming back to normal. We are slowly getting back to normal and it starts with sunshine, doesn't it? So that's, uh, that's good to hear. Listen, SimCorp itself made to many people not need too much introduction. It's, uh, it's, it's a business that I've known for a long, long time and uh, a stunning reputation. But uh, before, we, before we get into that, give us a little bit of background about yourself, Christian, and tell us a little bit about SimCorp. Yeah, will do. So, uh, so uh, let's start on myself. So I uh, joined the company uh, a couple of years ago and stepped up as CEO and, uh, in September last year, actually at the day that marked our 50 year anniversary. And that also gives congratulations. You a, uh, thank you very much. Uh, so that's truly exciting. Uh, I'm a fintech nerd. Uh, so <laughs> that's that's all I ever done in my life. Uh, did a bit of insure tech before I joined Simcorp, and before that, uh, quite many years with SunGuard. That has certainly also been uh, firmly uh, in in the fintech space. So that's what I love: uh, understanding customers. You're in the right show. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, understanding uh, customers' requirements on on the sell side is where I spend a lot of time, and now obviously firmly on the buy side, which is which is really the focus area for for Simcorp. Quickly on Simcorp, as I just said, uh, now uh, a bit more than fifty years, um, a little older than I am, um, and has always uh, been very focused also on the buy side. Actually, starting out uh, many many years ago with an idea of doing sophisticated uh, liquidity uh, budgeting. And that kind of morphed into uh, understanding that there was a repeatable uh, set of requirements that uh, obviously suited well to build technology to to underpin that, uh, and then work through many years and has, has especially the last ten years accelerated from being somewhat a regional player to now a fully fully global player with kind of 300 customers in in the upper end of the of the buy side market, ultimately delivering kind of a full front to back support for the investment process at basically any investment manager kind of above um, kind of 10, 15 billion. Uh, it is, and it is more know. or less any investment manager as well, isn't it, in the, in the world is, that you guys have been dealing and, with? Uh, one of the exciting things that has happened the last couple of years is that we're quite fortunate to have uh, partners in the global asset servicing world that is also taking the platform as an embedded into their platform and uh, thereby extending our reach. So it's exciting. It's very exciting. Certainly is, and, and over fifty years. I mean, look, it's one of the most established, uh, you know, fintech companies that that there is. Um, and over that fifty years, I don't think we've probably seen as a, a rate of uh, innovation in the space as, as we've seen over over the last two. That includes probably over the last ten years, uh, the, the landscape changing completely for you know, in terms of enterprise software, you know, giants in the space dominating the area to to a, a whole host of new incumbents that are coming yeah. through, and indeed. You know the institutions themselves who've been you know bringing in their own tech and, and and buying and acquiring companies in the space. Tell us a little bit about the landscape and how you see it at the moment. So I think, uh, as you rightly uh, say, so being fifty years old uh, doesn't necessarily secure any level of innovation. That's at least what my kids are telling me. So uh, I think <laughs> companies, especially in the tech world, right? So we actually 
I think what the 50 years has given us is really a solid uh, place in the market, right? We're known, we're delivering uh, mission critical uh, support for our customers and every day, we kind of instill trust, but that's also something that uh, we need to continue to earn. And it's, it's certainly fair to say that the world has moved on in a relatively high pace. And some of these things have been amplified by, by the COVID uh, situation the last uh, couple of years. So what we spend most of our time on is obviously to make sure we still have um, kind of the rich, rich functionality that is required for our customers to deliver their business. And that has certainly extended with first alternatives, now ESG, uh, <clears throat> and the full support required to do all of these things. So we continue to evolve the overall platform. Um, we also uh, done a couple of additional uh, acquisitions over the over the years. Uh, one was for client reporting that certainly became very fashionable during COVID, uh, and the, and the second one on on kind of adding data management to the overall value proposition. So I think we are extending what we would say extending the core as a company, but we also kind of sat back and said, all right, we are we have this position in the market. We are uh, at least among the biggest independent players in this space where. We provide technology, that's all we do. We do compete with financial institutions that also provide technology. And somehow they are both competitors and also partners. So it becomes an interesting ecosystem. But at the very mm -hmm. least, if we kind of sum up what we spend our time on is, first and foremost, we are gradually moving from a traditional software company where our customers would traditionally uh, consume our software on-premise. Uh, to now that that they predominantly consume it um, as a service, and yeah. uh, that's uh, certainly driving all of new customers, but it's also now really accelerated to drive a lot of transformation out of our existing customers, and that kind of changes uh, a lot of things. It changes the culture inside the company. Suddenly, you need to have a kind of a twenty-four-seven, always-on mentality. Uh, you need to drive customer success in a completely different magnitude. Yeah. Um, and you ultimately need to upgrade your skill set, both in terms of um, your cloud capabilities, but also the way you work. And that's really what uh, we're spending our time on. That has a that has a couple of positive side effects uh, that I would say has has driven a lot of conversations uh, over the last couple of years. So we now have 50 out of 300 customers that we're running as a service. So we already created some some level of um, of scale, which is great. Uh, we also decided to build a strategic relationship with Azure. So we're now kind of putting a lot of money into that. But, but what's kind of really exciting for us as a company is two things. The first thing is by moving the software to cloud, that allowed us to redefine the way we uh, do APIs. And uh, with uh, a lot of existing customers, once you have kind of the full front to back value proposition, you obviously need a lot of uh, data interaction to that part of the platform. And ultimately, getting that done also drove a, um, a substantial uh, innovation in terms of how we work with the, with the outside world. So as we're moving our customers towards a software as a service model, we also decided to put a lot of um, investment into uh, the underlying technology to get kind of full value out of that. And that had a couple of really positive impacts. So first and foremost, renewing the APIs gives a lot of uh, kind of benefits to our existing customer base. As you can imagine, once they have the full front to back platform, the eyeball, the eyeball, they need a lot of data extracts out of that. So just simplifying that has a benefit to every single customer, actually regarding or whether their software service are on-prem. 
But the really kind of interesting thing for us as a company was the fact that that allowed us to start to work in a much more structured way with the outside world. Because ultimately what we do have is that we have customers that needs kind of a full spectrum of things in order to run their business. And then we have our definition of where we sit in the front to back space with client reporting and data management. But our customers need more than that. So we engaged into a conversation with customers and say, all right, what do you, what do you actually need in terms of running your business? And we did that across all 300 customers. And then you find some level of repeatability, but you also find things that are somewhat unique. The interesting things is once you start repeatability, actually SimCorp can play a more strategic role in that space by working with those other technology providers to create an ecosystem um, that in the end helps our customer uh, navigate through their challenges. Uh, so we actually started out by building a lot of um, really strong relationships uh, on the outside of, of what we do under the mindset of an optionality play to give our customers the choice. And that goes all the way from choosing an EMS or potentially choosing a portfolio optimization capability, but actually all the way through working the way they work with custodians and asset services. So we build integration all the way around, we maintain it. Uh, and in the end, uh, that obviously gives a commercial value both for the customer, uh, but also for Simcorp. And, and that's super cool because it also drives our culture in a, in a completely different way. I think it's really interesting because you're right. It does, it does drive culture in a completely different way. And it, and, it, and it sounds to me from what you've just said there, there's a lot of learning that's had to happen at quite a you know, quite quick scale from a you know, traditional business. And you see a lot of you know, enterprise businesses who've been around for that sort of time who, who continue to sort of say, look, this is what we do. This is how we do it. And, and, and they have an arrogance around you know, their ability to, you know, or, or their desire not to change. This is, a, this is what our customers want. I love what you just talked about there. Uh, I can tell believer. you that if you have a company where uh, you have 50 years on, on the back, uh, there's a lot of people from a cultural point of view that are Absolutely. used to that everything is done here. Yeah. Right? And, and, this and, is what, this is, yeah. and if you can do both, you actually create some strength and you also basically get a better customer experience. And that customer piece that you, you talked about there, you know, 300 clients and, and listening to what they were talking about. That also takes some, you know, some planning. That takes some execution. That takes, uh, you know, a, a lot of, a lot of. It's not just like you go out there and, and immediately react to what they're saying. But I imagine it's about clusters of of similar sort of thought processes that went around there. What what drove? You know, was this was that a COVID thing again that said we need to get closer to our customers, or was that just evolution? Or what what well, drove that? I think that? Uh, it was actually when we when we started to say that the expectation is that at some point all customers will consume as a service we started to realize that consumption is driven in the end by understanding the customer and help them, help them consume, if you will. Yeah. Um, and that means that you can't rely anymore that they call you when they need to, you need to ultimately drive a completely different strategic dialogue uh, in, in, in basically to get through that. So we actually identified that close to two and a half years ago. Um, and, and what we did there was we separated our the people that work with uh, getting new customers through the door from the people that are working with the system because it's a different type of dialogue. Yeah. Um, it took um, it took a while to kind of get get the customers used to the fact that we were actually there uh, to to talk adoption and not just to sell them another another license. Um, but I think now it's really turned and it's becoming really strategic dialogue. And the, the really cool thing is. It's a fantastic set of data to also feed into our technology roadmaps. 
because yeah, suddenly you you can start to see what is repeatable and and what is not. And you say that there's you know that technology roadmap is interesting as well because you say there's been some serious change in in terms of how you've looked at things from the evidence of what you found from your your, your customers and um, yes. you know, as a service ESG now. Yeah, ESG is a very good example of that. Yeah, that has really really accelerated the last couple of years. Uh, first and foremost because there was change in regulation, but also because people can now see that that's driving growth, right? We're quite fortunate yeah. because a lot of our customers uh, from, from way back that we still are fortunate to have uh, was the Northern European and particular Nordic customers. And they have been on the forefront of ESG. Yeah. So there we could actually tap into that uh, quite quite easily. Alternatives is another good example of, of things that has taken a real turn, obviously in a low, low yield environment. Let's see how long it lasts. Yeah. Um, it was required to, uh, to, to kind of think outside of the box and what are the investment vehicles that you're using. So that's another... Thing that has been there's been a lot driving that hasn't there sort of yeah. both both in a, on a macro basis and in terms of you know market trends and definition through to you know even new asset classes you know coming in uh, you know, yeah. around crypto as a, as a for, for example crypto is a, another thing that's uh, yeah. potentially a little bit easier to deal with from uh, from our point of view because it's yeah you know it's, it's another currency if you will yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's certainly a lot of uh, settlement discussions and and other things that we also build a partnership through to make sure we, we help the customers with. I'm interested in that sort of, you know, as you say, the partnership. One of the things that, that we've seen a lot over the last couple of years is, is that there is a um, an end user sort of desire to have something there that is bespoke to them, um, which isn't just like, this is how it works and this is the technology from one vendor who you've got to look at. This is a, looking at numerous different uh, you know, ways to increase efficiency, yeah. reduce speed or increase, increase speed, sorry, should I say, yeah. remove friction. And all of these different things is about bringing a, a collective and I, and I think this is particularly prevalent on the buy side where we probably haven't seen the innovation uh, I remember seven eight years ago sitting on a panel with with CTOs in the buy, buy side space and uh, they were eagerly looking for more innovation in the area I think they've certainly had their wish granted on that over the last couple of years oh, yeah. where we've seen more oh, and more yeah. coming, th oh, coming through uh, which has been really interesting so talk to me about how you how you that how you work with that how you work with your customers to get the right partners to come and play how how it's become a lot more of a collaborative interoperative interoperative uh, field that we live in what's what's that driven for you guys i think the, the the easy answer is that this is something people actually like to talk about um as you as you so there's kind of thing i think there's two trends to think about so there's one as you start to consume more and more software as a service the old school traditional upgrade kind of taking a half a year or whatever slowly goes away right yeah and that means that your main task in the end becomes the integration testing that you need to do between your different solutions yeah. and and there no matter whether you are getting the individual service delivered you will still have integration challenges between them, right so the people that becomes the main focus how do i make my own ecosystem work and how can i tap into the ecosystem of potentially simple uh, in this case so that that kind of was was clearly driving that then i would say there's probably one other thing that and I, that kind of speaks to another thing that we're spending quite a lot of time on is that that through that process we see a clear trend that customers are starting to say all right do i do I actually need to do this particular piece of work myself? Or can I ask somebody to do it? And mm -hmm. if you go some years back, the only alternative there was to outsource in the traditional way. And you could do that either by 
asking a large consulting firm to just take whatever stuff you had and run it in whatever shape or form cheaper. Or you mm -hmm. could ask uh, an asset service or a custodian to, to take some of that work uh, away. I think that is now uh, we're seeing the embryo of, of a, a, a variation of that, um, which is what we just launched with the investment accounting service, for example, yeah. where we actually out-task investment accounting for, for our customers. So they don't run the software anymore. We are ultimately delivering the end result to them in a in a data warehouse with uh, with a nice uh, graphical user interface that they can use to look at their data. But they don't perform any activities. We do the same for data management, which was also a great example uh, where everybody is basically doing the same piece of quality assurance from their Refinitiv feed, Bloomberg feed, whatever. Yeah. They were happy that we could kind of take over that task and, and, and run it for them. And this and, has been that sort of increased trend, hasn't it, to, to manage yes. services as a whole? Yeah. But for us as a software company and a technology company, it's very important for us that we have the discipline to sub-select the areas where we can truly automate it by using our own technology. Because mm. our, and, and it's a thin line, right? Because if you just take whatever you want, you end up being a large kind of BPO provider. Yeah. And that doesn't go particularly well uh, in, a, in a software world uh, where the valuations are, are somewhat different and the scalability has a different magnitude. So it's, I would say that's probably one of the bigger things that I spend my time on to make sure that people understand the value of our underlying technology, both internally and externally. Yeah. And we carefully choose those areas. Investment accounting is, is kind of very straight ahead of us uh, because we currently have more than 25 trillion euro going through our accounting capabilities every day in basically in jurisdictions across the world. So we know it's highly automated. Um, so that, that was kind of a good starting point, the same with, with data management. So you kind of get this variation between software as a service and then a BPAS, as we call it, the business process as a service in those very distinct areas where there's high level automation. And that combination is, is, is quite, it's quite interesting. And that's, that's also kind of, that's kind of another variation over the, the other theme where I said that our customers go through quite structurally. What do I need? Where do I want to innovate? Where do I want to be different? Yeah. And where do I just want to standardize and, and, and do these things? And I think one answer is, is obviously SAS. Third and second answer is BPAS. And then the third answer is back to the platform ecosystem uh, that mm. I talked about. And just to answer mm. your question there, what we actually did was once we had the input from all the 300 customers, we actually did our own screening of the market. So we talked to, I think actually more than 130 FinTech companies around the world, just saying, well, this is what we do. We kind of want to build an ecosystem that does this, this and that. And then you start to build and suddenly navigate in that, uh, in that infrastructure. And that has then resulted in us signing up more than 25 partnerships that are now integrated to the platform and we work together. And most of those companies, they've gone through some really cool innovation. But in the end, there's a win-win situation because they can tap into to our customer base and certainly get some scalability into to what they do. And that's where kind of the eyeball, the front-to-back uh, presence and the, the data source that we set yeah. up become quite important. I'm interested to hear what that sort of impact that has on, on procurement, because we all know that this, this sort of bottlenecks when you're dealing with some of the companies who, who you're selling to 
with regards to innovative fintechs with great ideas not being able to get purchased because of the pure procurement processes which they, they, they're able to get through. I imagine there's a there's a um, escalator that you guys can provide to to improve that, but it's also there making sure the due diligence is in place from your side to make the right partnerships in that that sort of world too. What sort of challenges has that brought up for you and how you overcoming them? Yeah, but I, I think there's a, there's a, there's a there's an interesting balance here, right? Because the so what we would normally do is that we kind of split our partnerships into super tight partnerships where ultimately uh, our customers can sign one contract and then they contract the partner through to what we do as well. Yeah. Um, most of the other ones are more an optionality play, so we kind of validate the partner, uh, but the partner has to contract themselves with 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 the customer. I think there is a risk discussion going on on the customer side about how do how do our customers navigate through this? Are they willing to to kind of put put an uh, emphasis on a particular platform uh, with the risk associated that it doesn't exist down the road? And I think we're still navigating uh, through that. Um, but there's certainly some of them where we uh, we've done enough due diligence to kind of warrant that. But there's other ones where it's a it's a work in progress. Um, but it's also interesting because we can see from the market, and that's an interesting conversation to have overall, is that suddenly uh, when when people are contracting through us, the requirements goes up substantially yeah. because we are a big company uh, in this world as compared to if they were acquiring through directly into the company. And that's obviously something the industry as a whole kind of need to, to figure out because I think in your, if we can kind of solve that together, I think there's a, there's a win-win for everybody. Yeah, I guess that that sort of collectiveness, that collective solution, uh, you know, solving is is a is a you know, big feature of everything that we've been we're looking at at the moment. And yeah. one of the exciting parts, I think, of what you're doing is a business that's evolving and, and transforming at pace. Uh, you know, in, in a time where where traditionally it's not you know it's it's uh, you know, not necessarily de rigueur for a business of your sort of size to go down that sort that sort that sort of route. And it's really encouraging to see that to keep you know, to keep and maintain and grow that that market position. But it's, um, it's creating a lot, a lot of excitement insights in call as well, because, you know, you can learn a lot from uh, from these new uh, companies as well, the way they think and, and what they do. So yeah. I think our ultimate dream here is that in the end, the market would look at us as a platform um, that kind of enables a bigger ecosystem. Uh, yeah. I think certainly we have the technology to play that platform. Now we need to work through and making sure that our customers are also kind of seeing it that way. It's a fascinating challenge. Speaking of, of the marketplace and looking forward, let's uh, let's finish with a couple of things. T tell us what you what you think the market looks like. You've mentioned ESG. We've spoken about crypto to to an extent and various other things that are coming through. Twenty twenty two. What's the uh, what's the market holding store? So we operate in 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 all three parts of the world, right? Uh, it's fair to say that. We kind of have two parts to it. We have kind of the old, the, the full, relatively fundamental upgrade of the infrastructure, whether it's front to back, front to middle, or, or just uh, back and accounting, doesn't really matter. It's typically relatively large transformational project, not necessarily because Syncorp takes a lot of time, but you need to change your work processes, you need to close down old systems and all of that. Um, we believe there's still a lot of old systems out there that needs replacement, So, but it kind of runs its own mode, if you will. And we can also see now that that uh, somewhat COVID put a hold to some of these transformational discussions because there was other things to worry about. But we can certainly see now that Europe has been back for six months, where 
at a relatively high pace, but we can also see North America and, and, um, and, and APAC opening up. So that's good. That's mm -hmm. kind of what we've been doing for, for a living for many years. Uh, but what we're quite excited about to see is that there's also uh, some of the more nimble um, approaches to, uh, to to the market opportunity that we developed over the last three to four years that really now has traction. Whether it's kind of digitalization of the client uh, communication, whether it's the data management we just talked about, whether it's outtasking, investment accounting, doesn't require you to change everything. So that's really going, uh, that's going very fast across uh, all three regions. And then I think in a, it's kind of in a somewhat... Um, Interesting point of view. Um, we are we're seeing uh, quite a few opportunities now where we have white labeled our platform through uh, some partnerships with uh, with Dutch uh, global custodians and asset services, and that's actually creating a, a, an extended addressable market for us because uh, with their entire packaging, with some of their financial services, they can actually tap into a lower part of the uh, of the of the market than, than we would normally do uh, direct so overall from a simcore point of view that that's quite exciting because it extends Definitely. our reach it's a, it's a, it's wonderful to see and really refreshing to see you know this, this sort of uh, excitement you know happening at the moment it's it's a great opportunity for the business to sort of really strive forward it's it's, it's been a you know one of the great established names in buy side tech for you know for, for so long and to see that sort of uh, uh, adoption of new technology and excitement about where it can go for it is is a testament to everything you've been doing. So, looking forward to seeing what the next fifty years has in store for, for, for all of you, all you guys. Ago, <laughs> Christy, for anyone who's watching this who wants to find out a little bit more about SimCorp and, and get in touch with you guys, what's the best way of doing that? Well, there's obviously our webpage. Uh, you can find my name anywhere, uh, and then we have uh, quite a large team, uh, pretty much in every financial city of of the world. So, uh, don't be shy. Don't be shy to get in touch. Wonderful speaking to you, Christian. Thanks so much for your time this morning. I really, really appreciate it. And, and glad to see the sun shining in Copenhagen, the traffic coming back and uh, long in the future. Good to speak to you. Thanks very much. Thanks a lot, Toby. Take it easy. Absolute pleasure. And thank you all. you all for watching. We'll see you soon on another episode of FinTech Focus TV. Thanks for now.